Series 6 was recorded in March 2022 over the internet. The following content may contain strong language. Welcome to Series 6 of the Playwrights Podcast with me, Omar Elleria. This series will have a special focus on the international writers the Royal Court Theatre works with. Caro is a bachelor in psychology with experience in social research and public policies. They have worked in the formulation, development and monitoring of social investment projects as well as in the publication of academic studies and a complementary training in neuroscience. As a playwright, their plays include Asphyxia and Thomas. Their television work includes writing programs on health, lifestyle and gastronomy. They have been a resident at the Royal Court's International Playwrights Program and have taken part in their long-form writing group. Currently, they work as a strategic planner at Wonderman Thompson. They spend lots of time taking photos. Hello, Caro, and it's lovely to have you with us on this podcast today. Thank you for having me, Omar. And uh, the question I always ask at the beginning is, where are you at? in the world and what do you see outside your window today? I am currently in Lima, Peru and I um, live in San Bartolo, which is a south, southern beach in Lima. And yeah, I can see the ocean. It's a little bit, a bit cloudy and a couple of seagulls over there. It's nice to look at. Sounds amazing. <laughs> and is that, is that, home is that where you grew up actually i moved here a year ago i moved a lot around lima um but yeah i have like a a lot of memories from every every place i've been living in so far like almost 14 places like it's a lot oh wow yeah and so let's start with the first question of many, uh, but probably uh, the one that, you know, gets us to the beginning is like, why theatre? Why, amongst all the mediums, do how did you land into theatre as your kind of medium of choice? Even though we will speak about this later, you also are an artist that works across other mediums. But I'm, I'm intrigued to know what, what you find peculiar about theatre making. What I like about theater in particular as a media and as a language is that I found that this is the way I understand the world because it has a lot of like visual components to it. The human component of it, I, I, I also, I'm also attracted to. And I have an special connection with writing itself. So this is my, like, my approach to the world itself. Like, I understand things slowly within a process, and I like to find some images to um, understand it better. So, theater makes a lot of a lot of sense to me right now, <laughs> as a as a language. <laughs> yeah. And how how did theater come into your life? 
by accident. By accident. It's always by accident, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was working in, in the state. I was um, working in public policies in education. And it was like really um, challenging in that time because there was a lot of corruption in the state. Well, it is still, but uh, I, I was dealing with a lot of complex decisions um, and they opened um, like a, a, a free workshop in playwriting. Mm -hmm. So I signed up and there was, I, I, I was fascinated by the, the way that you could uh, present some human tensions in a way that is compelling and um, talking to specific people, you know, representing people. And yeah, that, and, and seeking for that truth. I think it was like a real, like, I was like in, in extremes almost, like uh, in, in the state, I was like living uh, like a, in a, in a like a lot of, I'm sorry, I'm almost like stumbling here. No, it's all right, it's all right, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> but what I love about that time is that I had to make a decision of two extreme um, kind of ways of thinking, you know? So and theater was like a, like, a, I don't know, a way to survive that storm. And have you, have you left that job? Have you left that environment or are you still navigating it? I left it. I, I wasn't super naive at the time. So mm. I thought I could live um, from art here. And it is really difficult to do that <laughs> unless you have <laughs> a career already. So right now I am in the advertising um, world. Mm -hmm. I'm a, uh, I'm a strategic planner there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And so where do you put theater and playwriting in your kind of patch of things that you do? I think it, it has some, um, a central um, place in my life. Um, every time I'm doing a lot of, um, I'm doing like, a lot of things uh, at the same time, but theater, I think it's one of the central parts of it. Mm. Yeah. And, and tell me a bit more about, um, I guess, the role of theater in, in Peru, in your country, and how, um, yeah, how, how does it, how does it work there? You, you said it's difficult to live, make a living as an artist, which I think it's common in many other places in the world, That's of sure. course. But, um, but I'm, I'm interested specifically in, uh, in, in the place where you live, um, also because you've, you've had the chance, of course, to make some work for the Royal Court. And in Britain, you know, playwriting is such a, um, a big thing and um, and writing itself is is considered a, a profession you know uh, and theater is considered an industry um, but um, I think it's always interesting to kind of compare different theater cultures and 
and also the modes of productions and how they might be different and how they might yield different different plays, different results. Yeah, um, I think that um, here there have been uh, a lot of initiatives to um, promote and to um, you know um, develop young writers. Mm-hmm. The industry actually is more focused on directing, I think. Mm. Um, there are not a, a lot of uh, initiatives that focus only in writing or developing um, a writer's voice. Um, yeah, I think there should be a lot of more initiatives, um, especially for unprivileged people. Mm. Um, because we don't have a lot of spaces to to do that. Yeah. Mm. How's the how's the theater world there? Like, what what kind of plays get put on? Is there a lot of new plays, or is it more directors' theater on classics? Yeah, actually, there are a lot of um, uh, a lot of theater making about um, theater. I uh, like. Um, authors from other places, mm-hmm. also classics. And the, the room for emergent theater makers are maybe um, for the pandemic, maybe um, like virtually and mm-hmm. in uh, not that uh, large theaters, companies, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to, to start. There are a lot of... Um, there is a lot of collaboration, but it's hard to uh, enter those circles mm. if you are not like part of the industry or part of, um, you know, like, uh, like educational um, uh, institutions. Yeah. And is there a more kind of popular theater or kind of more specific popular theater tradition? There is. Yeah. You have, yeah. for example, Yuyachikani, which is a. Mm-hmm an international known uh, company from Peru that has um, a really good base on political theater. Mm. And does it, does, does it affect the political landscape in any way? Or is theater considered a, a place or a medium through which, you know, um, people can have meaningful political conversations? Yes, I think so. Mm. Um, maybe not as much as I would like, mm. or maybe that uh, people can afford to, but uh, in a lot of senses, like theater people are, um, yes, raising their voices um, for some political or economical crisis here because we have a lot of them. Like we have, we live in a very convulsed country mm. right now. And, 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 and do you feel like playwriting or theater in some way is able to capture that? In some ways, yes. Mm. Yeah. Especially and, like independent groups, independent collectives. Mm. Um, I think that there, there's like a, there's, there's a fire there, yes. And, and I mean, I've, I've spoken with uh, uh, another playwright, um, Pablo Manzi, who is from Chile. From Chile, um, yes. I, I, I also have 
a number of friends that live in different parts of South America and uh, uh, w- without generalizing because South America of course is a is a continent you know uh, but in your kind of experience having worked a bit in uh, at the royal court like what 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 would you say is there a kind of difference you feel between the way in which work is made um in in yeah in south america and in europe or um i guess i'm also interested in how work that is made from a specific lens or perspective is then translated into into english for instance or for a kind of european western european audience yeah actually that is happening right now because i'm um writing a play that i um kind of different to approach because you have to think also about your audience mm-hmm. and considering that um, you're writing for an audience that is not for your country, from your country, um, I think you are pushed to be a little more universal in your terms, mm. like in how you approach things. For example, um, right now I'm, I'm writing a play which focuses on my ancestors' migrations to Peru. Mm. So that, that process of the no place, no time thing, um, it's a kind of a curiosity I have right now. And I, I love the, the approach that the translations is being managed right now in the Royal Court because they put an effort to um, have the translators um, help live the, the experiences like as me as an author, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're having a Peruvian translator and um, a Chinese um, heritage person too. So they can like grab all those nuances uh, within the text that might be helpful to, um, you know, um, I don't know how to call it, like, well, translate itself, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, and when you started researching this play, is there something that you discovered uh, that was interesting to you uh, about, you know, the movement of people uh, to South America? Or was it kind of a more personal thing about your family? Yeah, it was a more personal thing. Um, I, I was researching about um, the Chinese migration to Peru um, because it continues to be um, a thing. Um, and also how um, integrated both cultures were here. Um, and I also, I, I was wondering about um, the history of my the masculinities of, of my family, thing that I've never looked close to in mm-hmm. my life. Um, because my, my, grandpa, my grandfather was an artist and I 
you didn't have the chance to meet him and he didn't have the chance to develop as an artist, like a visual artist. So I was intrigued by his history and the like the reason he, the reasons he wasn't able to be um, like a, a known artist because he was like very secretive about his life too. Mm. Was that because of uh, political reasons or was that just like a personal thing? Uh, it, it, it was a personal thing, mm. personal thing. Um, he had a, a rough um, life. He was like almost, uh, the, the term would be like sold um, to a Peruvian, uh, f- from a Peruvian person to his father and mother. So it was a, an identity thing, I think, mm. that why, why that, why he was so um, private with the, their personal stuff, you know? There was a lot of things that he, I thought, I think, um, didn't know about himself. So mm-hmm. that what that is what intrigues me the most. And is that like a common process for you when you start writing? Like, where do you go and look for the story or the subject of your play? Can you repeat the question? Uh, it's like, is it, is Sorry. it, uh, is it, it does the does the idea for writing a play, for instance, come from a, a curiosity, like from a question you have, or does it, you know, does it come from encountering a story or meeting a certain group of people? Like, I'm interested in understanding what your creative process, where your creative process starts, I guess, with playwriting start with an urgency, a personal urgency to find out um, what's going on with me. For example, I mm. think it might be kind of, it, can, it, it seems kind of disconnected with that, that story with me right now. Mm-hmm. But um, the, uh, let's see. Um, as I am currently um, transitioning, uh, as a trans person, mm-hmm. uh, I found really compelling like the construction of masculinities in my family. So that's what I was aiming for with that play. Mm-hmm. And with others, I always um, start with this question that I know I don't know really what it is mm-hmm. like inside of me, but I look for images. I look for um, certain types of um, characteristics in the in the characters. So I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, like I, I'm ranting right now. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. But I, I try to focus on on particular characteristics that resonate with me in the moment. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and you spoke, but it's interesting because you spoke earlier about, you know, the audience and thinking about a wider audience, for instance, when you're 
creating it for work that needs to be translated or presented abroad. But is that something that you have in mind when you start putting pen to paper, like an audience, uh, or not? It's not um, a constant thought, mm. but when it is, um, it is a play that I know is going to be translated, I usually come um, across this decision with which I don't want it to be like super local. Mm. For example, in this play, I uh, there's a place that I name in English as a like the the poop island or the island of poop mm-hmm. because here in in Peru we have something we call Islas Guaneras that is um, sort of islands that have a lot of bird poop mm-hmm. but we don't call it like that <laughs> so a local person could. Um, understand what I'm talking about, but maybe a broader <laughs> audience can not relate to that. Mm-hmm. So I make it as universal as possible because yeah, there was a period where here in Peru there was a, um, a lot of slavery in, in those islands and maybe our ancestors as Chinese Peruvian people have um, our ancestors have um, worked there. So mm. there's kind of a, 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 um, a point there that I was trying to make. Yeah. And how, and uh, how about you as an audience member? Like, do you, what kind <laughs> of theater do you enjoy? Or do you we enjoy independent theater, political theater? Yeah. Apple, um, yeah. And from, Voices that come from uh, diversity, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also usually um, I'm, I'm, I tend to to look that. And do you feel like? I mean, have you been to London? Uh, to I can't remember. Like, if if you were in London for the Royal Court um, Living Newspaper Workshop, or do you have a residency or not? I actually, I have never been to London yet. Oh, right. I'm okay. going um, in the next month, maybe okay. in April, May. I depends on the visa response. Yeah, but... yeah. <laughs> One of the many obstacles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but no, what I was asking is that, or I think it's maybe a question for when we meet again, you know, after you've been to London. Um about like where are those spaces in which you can find independent uh, voices that uh, or kind of marginalized voices, the ones that don't have necessarily huge platforms in the mainstream. Um, because I feel in, in London, for instance, there is a lot, but at the same time, there is a moment in which a lot of discourse kind of kind of manages to get into the mainstream, but then it also can quickly become uh, institutionalized and co-opted. Um, and, and so I'm always interested in understanding or, or asking other artists how certain topics 
are then experienced in other cultures, in other theatrical cultures or in other cultures more in general, uh, whether it is race or gender, because I feel like in London, we're of course feel at the center of this kind of very Anglophone um, debate, which kind of has ripples across the globe because it's quite a dominant culture. But um, what, what's your experience uh, in, in Peru about it, about some of these um, debates? Um, it's like, um, I usually um, I'm looking for my community's um, work. For example, I'm always like trying to see what are my trans folks doing mm -hmm. in theater. Um, I also like to travel to see um, independent theater inside of Peru, like outside of Lima, mm -hmm. because it's really centered here. Uh, I think it, it happens a lot with capitals and things. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, there is a means mainstream theater here um maybe i look for specific artists you know that i i know what kind of voice they have what kind of urgencies they have um and they tend to be like uh really political or they have incorporated um some non-privileged people inside their 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 working process mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you also about your other work and other mediums like photography and whether there was any connection to the work. It's like, does making theater help you uh, or affect the way in which you make photography or the other way around? It, like both worlds like complement each other, I think, mm -hmm. because um, they have um, like research itself. It like it, it has its own methodology and their own like point of um, freedom. Um, I think photography for me is like waiting for the moment, mm -hmm. and in theater you are waiting for the words or the images to come up. So. I think the process and the the craft, the craft of it, like in analog photography, um, for instance, um, I love the the craft of it and the the waiting for the for the develop of the image and mm. and you, you, there's something about the material too because it's not the cheapest thing in the world to have mm -hmm. to to photograph in, in film mm -hmm. uh, um so you have to um value a lot uh, about the the moment you you're you're shooting yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's a correspondence with theater because i remember uh it, it's an interesting thing about photography because i think there is a full kind of economic law that says in theater the technical advancement can never 
affect the amount of uh, expense that you have you know like can never really affect like while in cinema or in photography technical development make the art cheaper um uh with theater that is not appliable or at least not until now <laughs> because you still need people and you need the physical space to to make it happen um so maybe that's a little interesting parallel <laughs> about how the two things need to still be done quite by hand in yeah. a quite art and artisan way um and i'm i'm interested in 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 knowing what what you found of inspiration lately uh, um whether whether it's a uh, it doesn't need to be theater related uh, at all but uh, i'm always curious to ask this question what what have you found inspiring of late some writers like mm -hmm. for example right now i'm i'm reading a peruvian author um gabriela Wiener, mm -hmm. which is a great great uh, writer and she published recently a book about um her heritage and she problematizes um, like the race topic and I found it really interesting. I also uh, have a lot of inspiration from photographers and designers and also um, social researchers mm -hmm. maybe. Um, I love a work from the work from Jack Halberstam, which is he's a, um, a trans academic, mm -hmm. um, and I found like those perspectives really, um, really rich. Um, for example, I don't know if if um, you're familiar with Paul Preciado's work. No, uh, he's an academic, a trans academic, and. Um, he has a lot of a lot to a lot to say about um, culture and specifically um, queer experiences in the world and how we um, we perceive and make politics um, with our bodies, like as as trans persons. Mm. And is that something that, like, what what's the debate like in Peru, or what is the activism like in Peru around? Um, queer identities. We are ages behind the mm. conversation. Mm. Uh, we have a lot of activism here. Um, actually, my partner is is an activist. Um, I kind of close to some movements, feminist movements here, but um, in political terms, we are far from our goals. Um, mm. It's really difficult to be um, an activist here. I think in, like in, in other places, but um, to make changes, I think it's going to be, it's going to take a while. Mm. Yeah. Especially with um, women's rights and, and minority rights. Yeah, we have a long path to, to walk. Do you, do you have hope? Try to. I'm trying mm. to maintain a little bit of hope, but it, it is really difficult. Mm. And I'm, um, 
I'm, I'm trying to, to make things that have an impact, but it, it is, you, you are fighting with a huge monster that, and a lot of corruption legacy here in Peru. And for example, right now they are liberating uh, the last dictator. Yep. So yeah, justice is not on, on our favor right now. Mm or in the favor of, of the victims of the dictatorship that took place in the 90s here. Mm-mm-mm. And, and what, what is the, like, I don't know, maybe the pandemic being a moment in which we were all shut down and had yeah. to connect, but has then, do you feel like the, did that become a catalyst for conversations and for reaching outside? Um, or, or has it made it even worse <laughs> being, being kind of tied to one place? Uh, yeah, I think that the pandemic redefined a lot of decisions, at mm-hmm. least um, for me. But I have, I had the chance to be a part of um, the long-form playwrights program there in the, in the, in the real court. Mm-hmm. And I was really thankful for it because it gave sort of a light mm. in like in all the confusion that brought the, the pandemic. Um, here, like in the industry here, it was like really difficult to come, like to overcome all the restrictions and we're still struggling. Mm-hmm. But having, having, having opportunities like, um, like, those virtually, um, like the virtual approach of those programs, I think it, it was like super beneficial. Uh, and also I was in part of a residency here in Peru and it took place virtually too. So I think it opened a lot of opportunities, but also um, highlight our it highlighted our our um, the lack of opportunities we had as an industry too. Mm. And there's a sense of isolation. Yes. Or, mm. Sure. We're uh, like I'm seeing the the industry right now in Peru. I think we are trying to survive. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, we had a, a huge impact as a as, as artists. Uh, yeah, and also like the big, um, like, you, like the perceived big companies are struggling too. Mm. So yeah, they're currently making decisions more in a like commercial way to, um, you know, attract more audiences, like mm-hmm. broader audiences, and you make it, um, um, yeah, putting aside maybe. Um, the, I know, the, like the, the maybe mm, hard subjects. Mm-hmm. Instead, they move to um, humor or yeah, more, more light. escapism and entertainment. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so that's kind of, kind of difficult to navigate. Considering I I 
I write, I usually write like more dense stuff <laughs> and, and not, and not humor. Yeah. Do you, do you think though, I mean, I understand what you mean about the, the specific kind of political and historic concept, but this is a thing mm-hmm. I've been um, confronting quite a lot recently um, about what is the, where is the balance in between um, the entertainment, or if you want the, the, the opportunity to, as a collective, be in a place where you let go, you know, and exist collectively, like a bit, like, I think it's, it came from the fact, not of theaters shutting down, but of clubs and festivals club shutting down, you know, places where people would, you know, party and be together. And I think um, it's interesting to see how I think in theater, there is a similar feeling at the moment of people wanting to be together. Yes. And, and I wonder whether that's now an opportunity to kind of use that goodwill and want to have fun in order to do both things at the same time, just do the entertainment, but also be able to tackle the bigger the bigger themes yeah that that's that that would be like super fun to do i think i i'll give it a shot (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't i wasn't necessarily kind of offering a suggestion i was it was just an observation i think uh of course you know like uh everything can become uh yeah spectacularized very quickly and then um, you know, absorbed again by the by the machine of of uh, of the industry. But I'm 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 interested in understanding where those little pockets. I think uh, John Berger, uh, a writer, used to reference them as pockets of resistance. You know, um, so not necessarily militant, organized, uh, but but kind of slightly more fractured moments in which or or experiences in which resistance to uh to alienation can 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 happen yeah um one had one last question uh which is a big question but let's see where we go with it which is um what what is the big burning question that you are grappling with at the moment in your work, in your life, or whatever you feel like is feels important to you at the moment? I think like the broader question is why? Why why things happen? Why like that? Um why do those bodies? Um, yeah, I, I, I think it has to be more like why people make some decisions, like what urgencies um, they have to be living to make those decisions and kind of. I don't know. Um, 
I, I think the human experience is so fascinating that I usually um kind of curious about what makes them to, for example, leave home and start from zero, mm-hmm. like my, my ancestors did. Um, mm-hmm. And what I um, I think I might do, maybe with because I, I, I planning to, to, to leave my country, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, reasons um, like, for, like things like rights like, and um, maybe uh, for finding a, a better place, better conditions to live in. But I think the, the main question is why, why? And that, that curiosity lives, leads me to a lot of like mm. unexpected places. Mm, mm. And is, is the why, like have you encountered it being more often a personal or a kind of environmental uh, set of reasons or a mixture of both? Yeah, a mixture of, of both, mm. and and the context is also you have a lot of answers in the context mm. and your your heritage and a lot of things that 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 come like transgenerationally, mm. like you know poverty or or some issues or traumas, you know, um, some things that your your back, background set in the get go. Mm. Do you feel that then the more you progress in generation, the more baggage you need to deal with in terms of um, dealing with your choices or affecting your choices? Yeah, you have the chance to look at those. You can, you have also the the, the option of like ignore them mm-hmm. um, or start from another place or have a different set of privileges that um, make you don't see them. But if you do, you may encounter like a huge amount of knowledge that you can um, unravel. Mm. Yeah. That's great. And last thing, I think you've already kind of touched upon it because you've mentioned a few names, but I always ask for some recommendations uh, at the end of the podcast for, for me and I hope for the people who are listening to us because I think it's always great to get fed with the things that people read or f- find inspiring. So you, you mentioned a, a, couple of, a couple of things, but I'm really interested in like who the photographers are that, that I should check out. So um, I'm really, maybe uh, going to start with... Um, uh, with some writers, I'm right, really, yeah. yeah um, so I love uh, the writing of um, Maggie Nelson, mm-hmm. which is an American author. Also, uh, Chimananda Noshi. Um, Gabriela, Wiener, Gabriela Wiener is one of my favorite artists here in mm-hmm. Peru, for example. Um, I'm also um, 
I, I love to follow on Instagram um, independent photographers, analog photographers. Um, I, I love the, uh, I don't know if you know this author from Argentina, um, Romina, um, sorry, I'm, I'm super bad with names. Um, uh, here is it. Um, uh, I don't know. Oh, you can look it up <laughs> if you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's another from Argentina that I, that I love that is called Romina Paula. Romina Paula. No, that, I don't know. She's a writer. Uh, uh, yeah. And also a, a theater maker. So mm. I, I admire her a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Those are, um, and, and as, as I'm currently in the advertising industry, um, I am right now. I'm looking for some design, like graphic designers, mm -hmm. or maybe, um, uh, and also um, photographers. Um, yeah, I'm also I'm also really really inspired by. The coming out of Elliot Page, mm -hmm. um, and he being like super trans and, and proud of it in, mm -hmm. in the Oscars. So I found like a lot of inspiration there. Like you can have um, a lot of success being um, being in a minority. You know, mm -hmm. currently it's like a, a little for me. It's like really far from what I. Mm. I've learned like people like me can achieve, you know? Yeah, no, I understand. Like, is, is there an issue with visibility as well? And, in yes, and representation. Mm -hmm. And, and does, the, does the fact of creating or being part of a wider international queer LGBT, LGBTQ plus community help with that or does it just become a, a virtual space like i'm sorry can you repeat sorry i was saying like is is the fact sorry, of sorry. Be, no 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 don't worry um is the fact of being connected to the wider you know global movement of, of queer and lgbtq plus artists or just people, you know, uh, um, and, and seeing those advancement in representation, as you mentioned, with, with Elliot Page and many others. But is that, is that a source of, uh, of, of, of inspiration and, and, and kind of relief? Or, or is it more difficult kind of being in a country where you don't see uh, that representation at reach? Um. Yeah, I think as a country, we are really isolated from that kind of representation. Mm. We are, as queer people, always like portrayed like, uh, or it, we either are marginalized from those spaces or make fun of. So um, there's a I think in, in, in my country, it's quite difficult to, to be an, 
an artist which is like all out. Um, there are a lot of efforts to make communities, to make like LGBTQIA um, communities. Um, but we, all, we, we are also looking outside mm. and uh, yeah. And I mean to, sorry, just one last question about this because I think it's really interesting about language because I feel, I mean, you're a playwright uh, so your language is and words are your kind of tool, but um, it's really interesting. I think for, uh, for instance, in in terms of um, gender and queerness, I feel a lot of the language it comes from English, um, and and I you know I'm half I live in Italy. I'm half Italian, half Palestinian. Kind of studied in France, so. A lot of the time, I see these the terminology being then, you know, uh, brought into different languages and different cultures, and that sometimes I feel like that can also become an obstacle uh, yeah, sure. because all of a sudden it's like, oh, we are importing something, but without understanding where that language actually comes from. So I'm I'm interested, you know, for for a writer like like yourself, where is the yeah, where is there a, a, a an opportunity? Is that a limit? Is that a, a, a terrain where you actually fight, you know, where part of the struggle exists in terms of the Spanish language, for instance? Yeah, I think it's like there's a huge opportunity to um, challenge language itself. Mm. Because, for example, the word queer um, in English is uh, in some um, rare, like resistant spaces, mm -hmm. resistance spaces here, mm -hmm. um, you like make it in Spanish, like how it sounds like. For example, queer in in Spanish, maybe not like Q U Q U E E R, but mm -hmm. C U I R. Mm -hmm. You know, you like take it from how it sounds to make mm. it in Spanish. So you can have this word that represents like not only Latin American queerness, but also Peruvian queerness, mm. uh, for example, you know, and you, and I love that about the language because you can um, appropriate um, some words and make it um you can make it a, um, a huge tool for political enhancement. For example, mm -hmm. um, I, I, it, it doesn't happen a lot in English, but in Spanish, you have like gendered words, for yeah. example. Um, and, and it's a form of resistance to use instead of an O or an A, make them an E so it can blend um, it can like um, hold all genders within, for example, instead of saying todas or todos, you can say todes, which is not in any dictionary, mm -hmm. but it is a way like of resistance and visibility from, mm. for diversity. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's really powerful. And um 
I, I was thinking exactly about that because, of course, Italian and French have a similar uh, issue with gendered words and objects, you know, yeah. and, and and pronouns. And you go like, oh, yeah, well, it's it works quite well in English because you don't have that issue. But <laughs> when you translate it to other languages, you need to actually introduce new words into the vocabulary. And, and right. therefore, it becomes a much more powerful act of revendicating you know a, a, a new word a new space rather than adapting uh you know uh, a word to something that is now more visible or has evolved you know um so yeah I'm, I'm, i was really curious about how yeah what are those strategies you know that uh, and do you see like the language changing in that way in terms of you know it might be poetry or music or or playwriting, for instance. Yeah, and those are like, um, uh, and I think like in the in the at least in the activist world, it's kind of a huge thing because um, you have the chance to, like, in how do you say it in English? Like, incomodar. Ah, uh, oh. Uh... Accommodate, incomodar, like no, no. Is is it is incomodar more like um, uh, in terms of uh, hold on, like, like make it like rough to yeah uh, to I don't know the word in English. <laughs> um, I know what you mean though because it sounds uh, like something I would say in Italian. Um, yeah, it's like more like make it like inconvenient to yeah, most yeah. Of people <laughs> to inconvene maybe yeah to yeah. to to inconvene to um yeah heteronormativity that that's what you were saying yeah yeah that's great Carol it's been such a pleasure to hear you you know you have such a calm soothing presence and, and voice and I, I could uh, really see you know some of the pictures that I saw you know and, and the work that you do in your in your presence it was um, it was it, it was really a pleasure to speak to you and um, I'll let you go back to the beautiful view of the ocean that you have behind you and thank you uh, so much for having me no yeah, it was, it was a, really lovely to speaking to you Thanks for listening to the Royal Court Theatre's Playwright Podcasts. If you'd like to listen to more, make sure you subscribe to get the next episode. The Playwrights Podcast is brought to you by the Royal Court Theatre, presented by me, Omar Elarian, produced by Anushka Warden and Emily Legg, and with music by Karim Samara. Mm-hmm.